0: Jacob Austin here, owner of QS.Zone. Welcome to episode six of the Subcontractors Blueprint, the show where subcontractors will learn how to ensure profitability, improve cash flow, and grow their business. Today's episode, number six, is about contracharges. Six lessons on contracharges from my time working for main contractors. So I guess first of all, we better talk about what contracharges actually are. And this is one of the topics that a lot of angst is around in the construction industry. Almost all subcontractors who hear the phrase, you get a sense that their blood's boiling already. And what I can tell you from my point of view is for there to be a situation where a contracharge is being levied or any kind of set off or abatement, it's got to a situation that nobody really wants to be in. Contractors aren't there looking for different reasons to deduct money and apply charges for this, that, and the other. It just isn't the case. And so many times, these things don't even get picked up until it's too late, nothing can really be done about it. And on the instances when it can, there's so much fuss about these little adjustments and little charges for things that really, the contractor's got no real fault of his own involved in it. We're talking about things where something has gone wrong, the subcontractor who's caused the problem isn't the right person to put the problem right, or isn't skilled in the field that they would need to be to put the problem right, and therefore a third party, a different subcontractor, has to be brought in to put the problem right, carry out whatever remedial works are needed. And I mentioned in a previous episode, the margins that main contractors are working on tend to be pretty, pretty slim. So we're talking of one to 2% on the bottom line for a project. So you can imagine when things are that slender that when problems start being caused, it directly eats into that profit margin pretty quickly. And at the end of the day, If somebody's made a hole in something that they shouldn't have done and that requires a third party to come in and fill that hole and make it good and make it look pretty, why should the contractor be the one to hold the baby and pay for it? And a lot of the time it tends to be the way these things are communicated that cause the biggest issues. And almost all of the time, all the contractor is trying to do is pass on a cost that they've incurred for somebody else's default. Sometimes that can cause big delays and sometimes it can trickle down into all manner of different things and costs can spiral on them. So a few examples. On one of my contracts, we hired a third party road sweeping contractor to come in and clean the roads. Two thirds of the way around the job, one of the hydraulic hoses for the brush heads detached and started spraying hydraulic fluid all over the road as they were carrying out the sweeping. The contractor tried in vain to clean it up with detergents and sand and a couple of other things that they could think of. At the end of the day, it couldn't be really got rid of and it caused a damage to quite a large area of tarmac. So we then required our groundworks contractor to come in, plane off the damaged area and reinstate it. Another example, a demolition contractor, slightly overzealous in breaking up tarmac alongside the building they were demolishing, broke up far too big an area and part of that tarmac was down to be retained. And then a third party contractor then has to come in and relay that tarmac. One that's quite common. We always get this situation between either plastering contractors and the M and E contractor, or ceiling contractors and the M and E contractor, where something has gone in slightly later than planned, and then the plasterwork or the ceiling grid or the ceiling tiles have been damaged, and then we've got a cost coming in from the ceiling contractor to make good that damage. So those are the kinds of things that we're talking about but did you know that contra charge or the phrase contra charge doesn't actually appear in most subcontracts none of the standard forms actually mention that phrase the government guidance for contra and set off actually says that a contra charge is for actually terms contra a charge for goods or services which the contractor has supplied to the subcontractor. And set off arises when a contractor doesn't make a payment or reduces a payment because there's been a breach of contract. There is then a third similar but different adjustment known as abatement, which is where a price for a piece of work is adjusted downwards because a full payment may not be justified that might be because there's a lower specification of finish or part of it hasn't been properly completed. So how is it that a contractor is entitled to make these adjustments if they're not even a definition in a subcontract? As a really, this goes back to basically common law and we're talking of what's in effect a claim for damage that's been caused or a breach of contract. So what we may be able to define it as is some form of set off or a counter claim made that reduces the amount otherwise paid. So now that we've established what it's about, how and why can that charge be made? So as we're talking about, so as we're talking about in effect, what is a small claim? You really need to think about. What gives rise to a claim in the first place? And that means pointing at some kind of a breach of contract and for the then to have been a loss or some damage to have occurred as a result of that breach. And you want to think along the same lines as what would give rise to a negligence claim being made. Now it's not strictly the same thing, but we're still t- talking of cause and effect for breach and loss to have occurred. So if there hasn't been any kind of breach, then there isn't grounds for a contra And similarly, if there hasn't been any cost or any loss incurred, then there also isn't any grounds for a contracharge. So that's something that's worth bearing in mind and worth bringing up. Item number one, what is the breach that has occurred to give you the right to deduct money. What damage has been caused? So when you're challenging somebody on a contra charge, the burden of proof goes to the contractor, the person levying the charge. So they have to prove to you that they have the right to deduct that money. And this is one of the reasonable man tests. So should he be sat in front of an adjudicator or the judge in the crinkly wig talking about a contra charge? He's going to say, with all the evidence in front of me, with the balance of probabilities, do I think this was you that's caused a breach or some damage? Or is there enough doubt that it might have been somebody else? And because we're sort of in the common law realm, there isn't a distinct level of proof that's required i remember having a big argument with the ground worker over a contra charge because one of his machines had damaged a brick wall and it was quite a large retaining wall and the machine had driven down a section of several meters leaving a big gouge in the brickwork and it all had to be chopped out and replaced and made good we had to provide new scaffold access it and the bricklayer's time, materials and so on was all incurred as a cost. And for the longest period of time he was arguing against this charge, probably knowing full well it was one of his guys, but he was saying, oh, you can't prove that it wasn't your telehandler, your forklift truck, driving around the site. Probably thinking that we hadn't taken enough evidence of the damage prior to carrying out the repairs. But happily, we had a few good photos of the wall, and it clearly had an orange-coloured gouge all the way down it. And the telehandler we were using was yellow. And whose machines were orange on the site? Our friend, the groundworker. And once we were able to point that out, that in the balance of probabilities, the orange scratch was likely to be made by the orange excavator and not the yellow telehandler, things got tied up fairly quickly. So I guess I'm saying to you with this, there doesn't have to be a video of your operative with a hammer breaking a hole in something for there to be a valid contracharge. But there does have to be some kind of evidence to demonstrate that it was actually you that caused the breach or the damage. So if you end up with an adjudication, there is a balance of proof that needs to be provided to demonstrate that the contractor has any kind of basic entitlement to deduct the charge, and then some demonstration of cost. So next thought then is that there has to be evidence of the cost incurred. So this can't just be an adjustment of X thousands of pounds, X hundreds of pounds or whatever. Depending on who you're working for and the conditions that they might have put in force, they may well have put some conditions into their subcontract to say that in the first instance they can deduct a reasonable assessment of a contra charge, and at a later time correct that assessment with balance of evidence required and adjust it to reflect the actual cost that's been incurred and sometimes this might be a case where the initial assessment was i think it was a man for a day plus a bit of materials 500 quid then it turns out later that the materials were far more extensive than first anticipated and there were more trades involved in the repairs and by asking the question, where's the proof of what you've spent, the proof of what cost has been incurred, you end up with a situation where you've actually increased the entitlement to charge. So it's sort of down to your judgment as to whether you think something is realistic and whether you ask for more evidence, in which case, bear in mind that it may well go up as well as down, or whether you just be pragmatic and shake hands on a reasonable charge. One thing that you may consider, and I've seen happen a couple of times, is that to avoid a contra charge situation, the two people that have been affected by the issue, so the person that's caused the damage and the person who then has to put the damage right and is the person who is essentially going to cover the cost of the repairs, they come up with a agreement between the two parties not involving the contractor at all, in a sort of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours situation. And I've seen stuff like the electrical man does some pat testing for the plastering contractor to cover a day's remedial works. Or another example, a bricklayer providing his block layer to a groundworker to do a bit of substructure masonry for a few days to offset a cost for damage that he's caused when his telehandler drove into some freshly laid concrete and completely ruined it. So there is always that option and it's sort of the way things used to be done before there became this nature of everything just gets billed to the contractor. I suppose it goes back to there being a little bit more camaraderie on a site and there being a little bit more willingness to hold a hand up and say, hold up, I've caused the problem here." I better do something to put it right and if you know you've got a situation where a contra charge is going to happen then it's sort of like why not take matters into your own hands and try and resolve it before it becomes this controversial issue and I'd much much rather that happened on one of my sites than I had to get involved in going around photographing things collating a load of evidence passing on a charge for the person at the other end to think that I'm trying to rip them off Okay, now, contract charges can stem into some rather large numbers at times, particularly if there are some significant delays attached to breaches of contract, and particularly when it's around failure to perform, rather than just little bits of damage here and there. And again, this comes from a place where the contractor is trying to protect his 1-2% that he's going to earn out of a contract, and within that sort of margin, he doesn't have a lot of room for error. So, if there's a situation where a few weeks, a month, or even a single week has been lost on a program, the cost can be running into thousands of pounds pretty quickly, if not instantly. You only have to look at the sort of size of setup of the contractor that you're working for and the number of staff that they've got on site managing SIT project to start to get a feel for how much cost is behind a week's loss of programme. And this is before you start to get into the realms of liquidated damages and the likes. And I've heard a few statements around large liquidated damages and whether it's right for these or to be levied against one subcontractor or subcontractor. And when the contractor with the contractor's hat on will be looking at the liquidated damages on a job and the cost per week, per month, per minute of delivering late and thinking about them holding the can for that versus passing it on to you. If there's a situation where you are fully liable for a default and a delay and it's run into weeks and it's delaying the ultimate handover of the project, they will very much be of the mindset that all of that cost sits with you. But this is where the burden of proof requirement comes in. And things like your liquidated damages, these can't just be deducted. There's got to be a linkage and a demonstrated effect with evidence to show that the cost that's been incurred, the liquidated damages for whatever period is being deducted, is clearly caused by a delay that you've caused, and it's clearly being charged to the contractor. So they can't just hold damages off you without them being charged to the contractor themselves and there being the demonstrated link between the delaying event and you. And unless the contractor has got a programmer on site all day, every day, and is able to plot cause and effect programs to capture the impact that you're having on the critical path. They're going to get into a difficult place trying to prove the right to make a deduction from you, particularly if you can start muddying the waters around any number of other delays, any other delays which might be caused by the contractor themselves, or that the contract was behind program prior to any issue that you've caused, because the burden of proof is upon the contractor. One final thought on this is that the time to do something about contra charges and liability for prelims, liquidated damages and all the rest of it is right at the beginning. Write it into your quotation, raise issue with subcontract terms that don't look like they're friendly to you and try and insert a limit of liability where you can so that If the worst comes to the worst, you can try and fall back on those negotiations and try and limit the impact on your business. It is also worth bearing in mind that if the stakes are too high and the liquidated damages, the contractor's prelims just look like they are too high, it's too big a risk for you to take, then you have always got the ability to decline taking the work up in the first place. And you've always got that as your final bargaining chip if you're unable to get that limitation of liability that you can't carry out a package for a main contractor without being paid for it or paid fairly for it. And if a sensible limit can't be agreed, then the best way to prevent that risk from occurring is not to do the work altogether and work for somebody who can agree something reasonable with you. Okay, so I'm gonna wrap this one up there Hopefully you've picked up some useful pointers from this episode. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you want to learn more, please do find us at www.qs.zone where you can subscribe to our training and support system for like-minded subcontractors. In there you'll find templates, how to do videos, interviews and more. It's less than the price of a cup of coffee per day and you can cancel any time. We're also on all your favorite socials at qs.zone. Thanks again. I've been Jacob Austin and you've been awesome.